0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch, and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... There could still be people locked into compartments where when the ship is twisted and moved, they could be, they could still be trapped in a compartment
0: somewhere where they can't physically move because of the twisting of the metal. The boat is still going to move because the tide is moving, so it has to move. But on top of that, if you think of the fact that inside of that ship, all the electrical systems gone, As the water is moving around, the initial
1: few hundred feet minimum going in, there's no visibility.
0: I think there was probably one thought in most people's heads who, who are on board, which is simply one word, Titanic. I mean, that's the obvious kind of thought, the image that comes to mind when you look at it, especially when you get up close and just see how big it is. Uh, of course it's a hundred years ago since uh, Titanic sank in, in the Atlantic, now uh, she went down completely, uh, the, the Costa Concordia tilted over on its side as you can see and, and, and thankfully came to rest on the rocks on the shore there. but. I think the people on board would have had no idea what was going to happen, don't forget it was dark, they probably couldn't even see the shore there, for all they knew, they were much further out, all they knew that the boat was going over and they didn't know if it was going to go down as well. Let, let me understand what they can do more. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to to calm down, I never believed it, uh, uh, a shipwrecked man is trying to calm down his rescued well, anyway this is the first time this. But uh, 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 I took the the lifeboat and I bought the lifeboat and I told the guy, Uh, the crew of this rescue boat. Let's go on the other side and try to understand how I can reach this ladder, to do what. Former captain of the Costa Concordia cruise liner has been found guilty of manslaughter over the 2012 shipwreck that killed 32 people off the Tuscan holiday island of Giglio. Delivering the verdict, the presiding judge sentenced him to 16 years in jail for multiple manslaughter, causing the crash and abandoning his passengers.
2: Welcome to I Can Murder a podcast, series eight, episode number five. Oh, what's that? In the distance I can see something. Ben, Ben ahoy, ahoy Ben, how are you doing? Let me
3: on, let me on. Let me get the, get of these wet clothes. I'm drenched. Ben, you're on dry land. There's yellow. There's someone threw a you, water bomb on your trousers, all over Specifically. Me. Well, got a yellow water on my bomb. Chest. No, no oh, and goodness, face. God, it smells oh. smells really. <laughs> Drink more water. Anyway, how are you doing, man? Yeah, very well. Thank you very well. It's good to be back. Um, as, you, as you know, this, is a, this, this week is a case I've been pushing for for a while. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. Super excited to be here. But, yeah, I'll dry off uh, while I throw over to see how our magical producer, producer Dan, is doing.
0: <laughs> Hello there. I am actually bubbling away with anticipation for today's case because although I'm terrified by the ocean, literally terrified, mm. I'm fascinated Same. by it as well i um, fascinated by Titanic. I was fascinated by the Titan submersible that went pop. A um, bit soon. So, and I'm just really looking forward to today's case. But just to be clear, the Titan uh, submersible catastrophe uh, is very, very
2: sad. I could see you being very pensive on the poop deck earlier on, Dan, and I thought Thank you. I'll give you a bit of time to yourself there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, but anyway, um, Pugwash, you've been keen to do this for a while, Ben. <laughs> Not sure about pugwash. <laughs> so, sorry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's all right. Um, but uh, this is one where you've been pushing, so uh, um, treading water, going, guys, can we do this case. So we've let you, we've let you finally do it. Yeah. Um, no pressure on it, obviously, because. Yeah. So, but I just, I'm excited for you to have your day. Your day Thank in the you. sun.
3: Yeah, this is a case I initially tried to use to sway uh, the audience vote uh, in the last series. Didn't really. Catch As many votes as I was hoping for, so I've just decided to force it um, into the series. This one we've got, we've got 18 episodes, haven't we? This series, yeah, so there yeah, were yeah. bound to be you know, I was bound to find a spot somewhere. Um, but this, yeah, this is a case all the same full of scandal, drama, controversy, arrogance, uh, and all of it could have been like many or some maritime. Uh, disasters that I'm aware of, I love that word, um, could have been avoided, very preventable. Uh, and Here's a quick question for you,
2: Ben, just to put, your, sure. um, just to put you on your, on your feet, make sure you know, you're alive and you're well. Yeah. Is this a
3: crime? Um, I, well, I mean, people have been charged and put in prison as a result of mm. uh, this action. Lives have been taken as a result of these actions. Um, so, and the corners that were cut, uh, as we'll go into. Yes, so, yeah, absolutely a crime a maritime crime a, maricrime. Maricrime,
2: hey. a yeah. Um yes we're going to get into it it's a very interesting case very interesting time um, I didn't know a great deal about it before we, we did the research for this case I knew obviously Ben was yagging on about it for quite a while but I look into it and it is an interesting one interesting to teach producer Dan all about it I'm sure a lot of our listeners won't know much about it either maybe there'll be some who knows we might have a whole gaggle of maritime experts and if, they, if we do, I'm sure they're going to
3: come for us with any pronunciations on this. Misquotes. What thought you doing a pun a hull gang of maritime experts because no. ship's hull. No, I didn't no. Just hull. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but no, that really. Was, sure. Yeah. Got you. Seashore. Yeah. yeah. Got you. Sea. Um, Tide. Uh, but yeah, no, I think as Dan said, uh, Dan, the, the recent news of obviously the, the Titan submersible, that has kind of, I mean, that's kind of Captivated my attention when really should have been researching for the uh, for the podcast. It didn't here, but... work, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. But it's 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 fascinating. I find the ocean both fascinating and terrifying. That's what I said, <laughs> yeah. well uh, But I find it equal, <laughs> sort of in equal measure. I feel like you sort of sway more to the fascination than the terrifying. I'd probably sway more to the terrifying. I find the sea boring and yeah. really friendly, just to be different. But yeah, I mean, this is a bit different to our norm. Much like last week, uh, the case of Mayhem the band, which was uh, yeah, that was another. Whew, out of nowhere, sort of case, um, but there, yeah, there are loads of maritime disasters out there and, and uh, incidents at sea that, that could be quite, quite interesting to me. I'm so already yeah. getting bored of maritime as a word. No, I'd like it guys. first. Yeah, and then Titanic, I was, if you want us to cover Titanic. Not I think I know what happens
2: of, with that though.
3: Yeah, but there's loads to it. Yeah, Everyone knows what
2: most of the stuff we've covered happened. <laughs> How? Yeah. Anyway, I could do Titanic now if you want. Go on. Boat, iceberg, down. Pretty good. Thank <laughs> you. In that order as well. Did he research that? So, this week's case goes by many a name The Costa Concordia disaster, the sinking of the Costa Concordia, Case of Francesco Scatino, The Captain Coward, Tragedy in the Mediterranean, which sounds like a uh, BBC um, detective series. does, yeah. The People versus Costa Cruises. Um, yeah. So many a name there, but I, I like The Captain Coward case of Captain Coward.
3: Uh, But yeah, I mean, this is being called the most infamous ship disaster next to the Titanic, and it did change the cruise industry forever. So yeah, it's a pretty harrowing case. I mean, there are a lot of characters in this this particular episode that uh, there is some elements of comedy to it in terms of the nature of how it all came to be but it's still an absolute i mean so many innocent lives were lost and uh, and it all could have been very much prevented it is a bit like a soap opera isn't it? in itself like yeah the main characters in it the kind of love love
2: triangle in it, the, all the bits and pieces that happen within it. It's a lot going on. But then, yeah, like you said, there's some figures of fun in there, but then when you scale it back and look at the lives lost, it was a serious incident as well.
3: So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to hand over to our wonderful producer, Dan. Hello who's there! Going to, oh, wow. Who's going to... Uh, f- full of energy. Who's going to
0: set the scene? On the night of Friday the 13th! That was so loud, I could hear myself coming through on your headphones. <laughs> Sorry oh, for man. that. On the night of Friday the 13th, January 2012, a tragic sequence of events that left the world perplexed began to unfold amidst the tranquil waters of the Tyrrhenian Sea. The $570 million dollar vessel Costa Concordia followed the questionable commands of its controversial captain precisely 100 years after the RMS Titanic had met a similar fate. This colossal cruise ship, once a symbol of luxury and opulence, succumbed to an unfathomable disaster. An entirely preventable collision with a submerged rock near the Italian island of Giglio unleashed chaos as it carved its way into the vessel. The cruise ship, once referred to as a floating paradise, tilted dramatically as a result of her wounds, exposing her belly to the elements and filling its many occupants with terror. Passengers and crew grappled with the unimaginable, navigating treacherous corridors and rapidly flooding decks while the world watched in disbelief as the tragedy unfolded. All the while, her captain had been long gone. Francesco Scatino, the captain of the ill-fated Costa Concordia, remains a figure shrouded in controversy over a decade on from the events. His actions on that fateful night have sparked intense debate and condemnation. Many argue that Scatino's alleged recklessness and deviation from standard procedures contributed to the ship's collision and subsequent sinking. Critics point to his ill-advised decision to manoeuvre the vessel far too close to Giglio Island, endangering both passengers and crew. Furthermore, his actions after the accident, including abandoning ship prematurely, further fueled public outrage. The trial that followed became a battleground for conflicting narratives, with supporters claiming Scatino was a scapegoat and detractors labelling him as Captain Coward, the embodiment of negligence, arrogance and cowardice.
3: So yeah, quite... quite. Uh, quite a case we're going to get through today Um, what we're going to do is go on to discuss the construction and vital statistics of the uh, costa concordia stats for fans of stats out there (laughs) um, you know uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through a bunch for you uh, before moving on to a background of the captain at the center of today's case and then diving into a detailed timeline of events and the aftermath of the disaster um i thought straight away of your favorite film tom life aquatic in that really mm. nice scene where if we were still a, a video format of the episode uh, let me tell you about my boat and that nice little transition yeah, that's lovely, that yeah. that would have been a nightmare for for a video editor so we're audio only that would have been that would have been very nice yeah i that. that's yeah. it Uh, lovely little scene a lot to this boat as well so it would have taken hours it would be a lot of the art department would be very very
2: cross and heavily under work (laughs) 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 not a phrase not a phrase ever said but yeah this I mean just some of the things that are done so elegantly read just then 570 million dollar vessel Mm -hmm. fucking hell a lot of money that is a lot of money um, and even just the kind of things where, yeah, you know, we're going to go into it, but 100 years after the Titanic. Ooh, spooky. Friday the 13th. 13th. Spooky. Lots of little spooky quinky dinks, Dan. Mm. I know Dan likes a little quinky dink. I love a quinky dink. <laughs> Wake up with a hard quinky dink in the morning. that you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. How Bloody coffee this morning. Uh, um, but yes, let's get into it, guys.
3: Let's do it. Let's jump into it.
2: Yeah. Let's set sail. Oh, this is, it's slippery. Oh, crap, my neck. Oh,
3: everything's red.
0: I had a dream that I broke my neck. Just remember oh, that. Did you really? And I also had a dream that I was one of three people in the world who could fly.
3: Who were the oh. other two? Us two.
0: I don't remember. Maybe. I always can fly. I can always fly in my dreams. Yeah, you That's can control things. it, can't you?
2: Imagine Martin Luther King said that. I had a dream when I broke my neck. It was like, oh, all right, Martin. <laughs> Martin, see you later. Um, how did you break your neck in the dream?
0: I, I, I'll i think about it more. I just remembered the sensation of breaking it and then looking Ouch. almost like an x-ray vision at my neck and it was just like in two pieces. Ooh, nearly headless down. Yeah.
2: With a with hard quinky dink. Harry Potter. Um, hmm?
3: Harry Potter. I've just started watching it, so I got that reference. That's nice. I'm on the third film.
2: What a long bottom. Anyway, the Costa uh, Concordia.
3: That Neville. never. I can be him now, but not then. And I feel like the <laughs> intertone in your voice suggested it was then. <laughs> what do you? What I don't mean? even know what you mean. It's, it's fine. Not Dursley. The Costa Concordia cruise ship was ordered in 2004 by the Carnival Corporation, which has long been considered the largest cruise operator in the world alongside two other leading operators, the Royal Caribbean and Norwegian. <laughs> what was that <laughs> face all about?
2: I just like, it's long been considered. Yeah. It's never crossed my mind, but um, I
3: guess well, it's bang on, yeah. Some people have long considered it though. Yeah. F-
2: fans of... And
3: Norwegian. It was ordered from and later built by the Italian shipbuilding company Fincantieri, which is the largest shipbuilding company in Europe and the fourth largest in the world. So what what I did, uh, the reason why I've started here is I did a little look into kind of, oh, I didn't know you ordered your ships to be to be built in that. I just thought they were just built and then sold. Um, but they're built to order, and uh, I well, had to look- make. You're sorry, you're not going to make a boat this big and go. Someone's going to want it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I imagine like a large sort of um, dealership just perched along a nice little ocean,
2: and uh, that's a big. You need a big bit of a uh, uh, yeah bit of seed. Yeah. yeah, you know those ports when you see the boats in there. People own those boats. They're not there for a, it's not yeah. a shop.
3: All right, mate. So anyway. I did do a little look into cruise ship ordering because I found that interesting, which took me to cruiseindustrynews.com and you can literally look at the cruise ship order book and the order book itself basically shows you detailed lists of all confirmed cruise ship new build orders globally. I think it's a five-year kind of forecast of ships all being built, and it says who the uh, who the cruise line operator will be, the cost of build, the year of anticipated launch, uh, the yard that it's being built in, the capacity, all sorts. But I immediately clocked that there's one being completed in a couple of months by Swan Hellenic, and the vessel is called Diana. It's got to be excited there. But anyway, yeah, from this site alone, you can see just how huge uh, Carnival Corporation and Fincantieri are. Um, because they are all over this order book. So they're c- continually having these large vessels built. Are they trying to build one as big as or bigger than? Uh, oh, certainly, yeah. There are some some huge vessels being uh, ordered. Bigger than the Concordia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some okay. big boys, yeah. I, I've never fancied a cruise. It's no, never been something that, that sort
2: of... appealed to me. The Costa Concordia was built in the Fincantieri Sestri Ponetti Yards in Genoa, Italy, uh, yard number 6122. A keel of the Costa Concordia was laid on July 2nd, 2004, shortly after the order. It was constructed for Costa Crociere, an Italian cruise line and subsidiary of the Carnival Corporation. The Costa Concordia belonged to what is referred to as the Concordia class of cruise ships. So we had a little look at this as well, and the word Concordia is a name of Latin origin. Quote, the Costa Concordia was a testament to human ingenuity, showcasing the wonders of modern maritime technology. The sheer scale of Costa Concordia was awe-inspiring. It was a floating city that promised an unforgettable experience, which...
3: It kind of delivered in a way. It did deliver. So as Tom mentioned, Concordia is a name of Latin origin, and Concordia is the Roman goddess of harmony and peace. And apparently this name was chosen for the ship to express the wish for, quote, continuing harmony, unity, and peace between European nations. The Concordia class of cruise ships also included the Costa Serena, the Costa Pacifica and the Costa Favolosa, the Concordia being the first of its class. The Concordia had a gross tonnage of approximately one hundred and fourteen thousand five hundred tons and had a length of nine hundred and fifty-two feet. <sighs> That's a big boy. There's a picture of it. Like the, the first thing I did was, how big was it compared to the Titanic? And it dwarfs. The uh, the Titanic. So yeah, nine hundred and fifty-two feet, and that that's big, isn't it? It's long, yeah, it's long, um, and big, long and big. The ship cost, as Dan mentioned at the start of the episode, five hundred and seventy million dollars to build, and it was delivered to Costa two years after it was ordered. Cold coffee, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I was going to say something, something similar. Oh, I see his eyes light up. Oh. On the thirtieth of June, two thousand and six. Uh, so basically, uh, con- so basically, con- <laughs> as long so- as <laughs> it. Um, so the Costa Concordia essentially became the flagship for this series of vessels it was the first of its kind and as soon as it was ordered and built they were basically built a whole fleet of them after the the kind of initial success of the Concordia. The Carnival Company wanted to be able to offer, quote, the finest levels of luxury imaginable to its customers. And they wanted the boat to essentially be the very best of their fleet and set new standards in terms of giant luxury liners gliding along the Mediterranean. The Carnival Company quickly ordered five more vessels to be of a similar standard once the Concordia was delivered. Wow. I mean... I was trying to figure it out, and Ben might have the answer to this already. But
2: so it, it has the guest, it has um, guest rooms of fifteen hundred guest rooms. Like so obviously, you can have more than one guest per room. Yeah. So in order to actually start making a profit on that, it's going to take a long time. So then, yeah. if you order in five more of those vessels, it's just a lot of
3: outlay.
2: It's not the kind of podcast we normally cover, but that is a lot of money. <laughs>
3: So for passengers booking at the last minute, a seven-night Carnival cruise was selling for as little as four hundred and fifty dollars, or a mere sixty-five dollars per person per night. But the higher end, uh, you're looking at fourteen and a half thousand dollars for a okay. week. So that sounds a bit more. Yeah. But even then, you're going to be—it's going to be years before you start to make your money back. Fair. I'm, I'm not looking to
2: order one anytime soon. I have to do a bit more research. Hopefully, this episode will sway me either way if I'm going to order myself a fleet. So disaster aside, one of the big focus points of the ship was its lavish internal appearance um, and an endless array of amenities, which to be fair, like, that is the big selling point of, of, of one of these ships. It is like the uh, the casino, <laughs> the different restaurants, the, the swimming pool outside, which is always weird thinking swimming pool on a boat, for some reason makes me feel weird. And um, yeah, it's got a lots, lots and lots going on inside it. The interior design of the Costa Concordia was characterised by a contemporary and luxurious style. It features numerous public spaces, including five restaurants, 13 bars, lounges, a theatre, a casino, and multiple sports facilities. The ship aimed to provide a wide range of entertainment options and amenities for its passengers.
0: I was just looking online. Apparently tickets account for 62% of total revenue. This is for like Norwegian, for example. And then the rest, 38%, uh, are on-board purchases. Ah. Um, oh. Just to give you a sense of the uh, of how much money, Norwegian in 2018 made 955 million net profit, which is a 16% margin. So not huge, but it's money. Is
3: that just off of their, because they do airlines as well, don't they, Norwegian? This, this is, is just, just off crazy. Off of the, the, Nora. Bloody Nora. Well, shut my fucking mouth. There oh. you go. Shut the fuck up. Maybe we'll get a flute. <laughs> Um, but that's yeah. I mean, the five restaurants and you've got almost four thousand uh, customers. Hmm. Sort of slim. Maybe it's a big old seating area. But yeah, if you're out at sea for a long time, you get bored, wouldn't you? Five different, uh, different meal a night, week night. Yeah, yeah you have an Italian. You probably have
2: a, another Italian doing different kinds of a yeah. like pizza and stuff. And then around the corner from there. what's that? Oh, that's another Italian. Fuck's sake. Um, maybe she's brought sandwiches on. But according to the brochure,
0: The Costa Concordia was a masterpiece of engineering, a floating paradise that redefined luxury at sea. With its sleek design and opulent interiors, the Costa Concordia embodied elegance and extravagance. Aboard the Costa Concordia, guests were treated to world-class amenities, fine dining and a multitude of entertainment options.
3: On top of this, Costa Concordia had, at the time, one of the world's largest exercise facility areas at sea, which was called the Samsara Spa. And this basically went over two different stories, and it was a 65,000-square-foot fitness centre. And this is where Tom was kind of referring to all the different swimming pools and things like that. So this fitness centre, not only did it have uh, four swimming pools, it also had two gyms, a philosophy pool, a sauna, What's that? a Turkish... Yeah, what's it? What is the philosophy for? Good question, boys. We're all learning, aren't we? Yeah. Philosopherapy from the Greek word phalassa, meaning sea, is the use of seawater as a form of therapy. Oh, salt water quite, therapy. Quite an easy option to offer on a cruise ship, isn't it? An abundance. Long way to lean over and huh? scoop it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had a philosophy pool, uh, if, if that was your thing. Uh, they also had a sauna, a Turkish bath, and a solarium. Uh, the ship also, as we mentioned, had four swimming pools, two of which had retractable roofs. Um, one of them had, you know, you see sometimes on those giant cruise ships, you see like the sort of slip and slide, curly slides, uh, water park on on water type thing. Yeah, it is a curly slide. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it had one of those at the back for the kids. Uh, it had five jacuzzis, uh, five spas, and on one of the big swimming pools, it also had a movie theater, like a, a movie theater by the uh, so by the just pool, floating float the course. lazy river kind of
2: ring Perfect. looking. at them. Yeah. Ooh,
3: I am warming there. to the idea of a cruise now. Yeah, um, that well, you could nice. just
2: you could just put um, if we get a little rubber ring, put it in your hot tub. Yeah, put my, put my projector outside. You can just float in there.
3: That's actually not a bad idea. I know, right? <laughs> Should we fuck this off? See you there. And as we mentioned, there are also five onboard restaurants with Club Concordia and Samsara taking reservations only dining. So again, that's even more of a problem. If there's four thousand people and two of the five restaurants of reservation only, you've you could be you could be shit out of luck quite quickly. And as we mentioned, there were thirteen bars, including a cigar and cognac bar and also a coffee and chocolate bar be there for breakfast probably and
2: entertainment options included a three level theatre large extravagant casino a futuristic disco a ten story atrium a children's area equipped with video games and a basketball court a mini on board water park including f- multiple twisting flumes as Ben said, some curly whirly curly slides. slides um <clears throat> And she also had aboard a Grand Prix motor racing simulator and internet cafe.
3: Really, truly, you wouldn't get bored. There's, there's something for everyone there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: Dan would probably, be, you'd probably like Grand Prix motor racing simulator, wouldn't you, Dan? Yeah, I
3: could see Dan there. Yeah. Nah, I don't give a f about that. Really. Oh, no, he'd be at the internet cafe to get on a flight simulator. Mm. That's
2: where That's he'd true. be. That's true. So the ship underwent mm. an extensive outfitting process, including the installation of various amenities, cabins, and luxury onboard facilities. The vessel was described as a. A complete floating holiday centre where passengers can entertain themselves almost 24 hours a day. The ship boasted 13 decks, numbered of 1 to 14, not to include the number 13, as I imagined our luck and um, being very uh, superstitious. Superstitious, that's the one. Superstitious Captain Coward. And a bad, uh, bad pairing. And each deck was named after a different, at the time, European country. So you had Holland, no, Netherlands, Sweden, Belgium, Greece, Italy, Great Britain, ireland portugal germany france spain austria and poland very nice (laughs) yeah
3: that 13 because there's there's a lot of superstitions as we'll get to especially with the christening of the ship but Mm. yeah not not, we're not going to have a 13 deck um, is one of the one of the superstitions. The ship had approximately fifteen hundred cabins, five hundred and five of which had access to communal balconies, and fifty five of the slightly more executive cabins had direct access to the quote glamorous and eloquent Samsara Spa, which led these fifty five um, slightly more expensive rooms to be considered as spa staterooms. Fifty five of the first class suites also had their own private balconies. Which, yeah, I was about to knock the balcony saying the views will always be the same once you're that far out. But if you're going along sort of like the Mediterranean coast, you'll see you'll see loads, I imagine. Sunsets, mate. Yeah, beautiful. So I didn't want to be too quick to judge that. Uh, and I was. Sounds, yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you definitely were. <laughs> The Concordia could at any one time accommodate up to 3,790 passengers, as well as having a crew capacity of 1,100, allowing them to carry a total of 4,890 people. As well as this, Costa Concordia was equipped with various safety systems, including advanced navigation and communication equipment, lifeboats, life rafts and life jackets. It also had watertight compartments to enhance its stability and safety. It was launched just a year later at Sestri Ponenti on the 2nd of September 2005.
2: During its ceremonial ship launch, and some have stated that this is one of the most pivotal moments of the case, I mean, well, I wouldn't say it's the most pivotal, but no. it can be considered traditional to break the bottle of champagne over the ship's bow, while saying the vessel's name aloud. So, you know, when you see, like, a bit of sh- champagne on a bit of rope and you throw it against it, it's going to smash it. Everyone's like, clap go, that's great, I love it.
3: Yeah. I love smashing balls. I saw on Twitter uh, someone used a turtle to open a community centre. Oh, OK. It, like, the rope, the sash was made out of, like, lettuce, I imagine, or, or a big blade of grass. And uh, this man in a suit held a turtle over it, and, or tortoise. Oh, I
0: thought you meant they threw a turtle against a... Party. Oh, God! That'd be, that'd be, that'd be
3: horrible, yeah. <laughs> Shocked by that. <laughs> yeah
2: Smashing a tail against the side of a boat. They deserve to go under if that was the case.
3: You'd have to throw that with some force, Dan.
2: (laughs) Wow. The soft shell tail.
3: Yeah, belly first.
2: Many consider this a a way of inviting good luck to the ship but also making a public spectacle of the ceremony. Supermodel Eva Herzegova was given the task of christening the Costa Concordia in front of hundreds of onlookers. She and many others in the crowd can be heard gasping in shock as the champagne bottle swung, clipped and then bounced to the side of the ship unbroken. So some people could blame Eva for the fate of this boat. Many consider this a bad omen and many consider the ship to have been doomed from this point onwards.
3: (laughs) I don't know how often it it happens where the, the bottle doesn't break. But there's this, there's that TikTok account that's got really popular where he just rolls different condiments and bottles down the stairs to see which step it smashes on. Keeps so, showing up on my feed for some reason. I keep watching it. I've seen that as well. You're a man of many condiments,
2: though. I am. You go, in, you go in your cupboards, mate. Fucking hell. Yeah. Not a lot of glass condiments, though.
3: It's all kind of plasticky.
2: You nick them for restaurants and you little chefs, you like pockets full of mayo. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> mayo Quimby over here. That's good. <laughs>
3: But yeah, I don't know how often I would assume with the, how smashable they are. It's all, well, unless you catch it maybe at the perfect angle and it just sort of clips it as, as she did. So made me think of that guy that's,
2: that's um, mouthing off to those people and the guy throws the, that pint glass at him. Oh, and it just goes
3: ding, ding. Yeah.
2: yeah. Some of those yeah. bottles are very thick. Yeah. But um, I don't think we can blame either
3: for what's about to happen, I think. No, no, certainly not. So on the christening of the Costa Concordia, obviously news that the champagne bottle didn't smash, uh, it did make some headlines and the Sydney Morning Herald wrote,
0: It is a sign some seafarers considered to be a harbinger of bad luck. Ominously, the Titanic was never christened. If maritime superstitions are to be believed, the Costa Concordia was doomed from the moment it was launched.
3: An Italian newspaper called Il Giornale would later write the headline It was born bad and ended up worse. Imagine christening a baby like that. Bottle of champagne. Just two years later, on November the 22nd, 2008, Costa Concordia suffered a second stroke of bad luck. Uh, so, this time the ship was attempting to enter the port of Palermo, Sicily, in quite difficult conditions during a storm when it struck the docks several times and was damaged. Uh, so, immediately repairs would be ordered and the cruise ship would return to action, but initial repairs weren't completed until the following month of December. Following the incident, after some minor sort of patchwork repairs, which you should never do on any kind of uh, seafaring vessel, uh, dents still remained visible. It's like, if you see a car that's been clipped on the sort of passenger door or something, you you know, that's fine to stay on the road, probably pass an MOT, but with ships, don't Mm -hmm. cut corners.
2: Um, I mean, like that van you bought, probably. um, Yeah, well, you don't have to talk about that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, there
3: are some cowboys
2: out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just always be careful. And some absolute village.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's just a steal, that is right, yeah. Oh, God. Thank you much. Got some of the money back. So, yeah, so it was sort of, it was fixed, but you could still see that, cool, that ship has hit something. Um, and uh, the dents very much remained visible. Uh, the damaged area was later fully repaired uh, three years later after the incident during the ship's full refurbishments. And yeah, uh, it wouldn't be until uh, a few years after the uh, the... Kind of um, the collision at the port in Sicily, um, that the ship would be fully refurbished and the full repair would be ordered for the front of the uh, for the vessel.
2: It's so silly of them not to just sort it out properly. Costa Concordia made many successful voyages in and around the Mediterranean and was booked up well in advance for the majority of the twenty twelve cruises. In the new year of twenty twelve, she was scheduled to take passengers on a seven day Italian cruise from Civitavecchia to Savona, but sadly, this voyage would never be completed. Now we're going to take a look at the man at the centre of this case's controversy, Captain Francesco
3: Scotino. Francesco Scatino was born on the 14th of November 1960 in Naples, Italy. He began his life in the picturesque region of Campania. Growing up in a coastal town and in a family of seafarers, he quickly developed a deep fascination for the sea and the ships that sailed upon it. Scatino's childhood was filled with a sense of adventure and a yearning to explore beyond the shores of his small community. As a young boy, many of the male role models in his life would be out at sea for extensive periods of time, and as a result, Scatino would spend countless hours by the waterfront watching ships come and go, dreaming of one day commanding a vessel of his own. His passion for the sea later led him to enrol at the nautical institute Nino Bixio in Naples, where he pursued his studies in navigation and seamanship. It was during this time that his ambition to become a captain truly took hold as he immersed himself in the intricacies of maritime knowledge and honed his skills.
2: After completing his studies, Scatino embarked on a career in the maritime industry, quickly working his way up through the ranks for a ferry company called Terenia. He gained experience on various ships, steadily acquiring the necessary expertise and practical knowledge to command a vessel. With each new role, he demonstrated a strong work ethic and an unwavering commitment to his profession, though some did consider Scatino to be arrogant in nature and a notable womanizer.
3: Yeah, that's something that's going to sort of maintain throughout the rest of this episode he is there are some very uh, very poor opinions of this man mm. very his poor, name's Captain very
2: Coward yeah
3: so that's um, not actually his name obviously <laughs> um, in
2: 2002 after more than 20 years in the industry Scatina began working for the Costa Corporation starting as head of security then to first deck officer after two months he moved up to become staff captain with the role of second command which is a very quick progression dramatic rise Scatino's career reached a significant milestone when, just four years later, he was appointed as the captain of the Costa Concordia, a luxurious cruise ship that epitomised opulence and grandeur. This was a moment of great pride for Scatino, who saw it as a culmination of his lifelong dream. However, this prestigious position would soon become the centre of a storm that would define his life and legacy.
3: But yeah, that's that's a a, a very drastic rise. I assumed with Mm. sort of a captain's role, you'd have to wait until someone either retired or died. Did they? Well, I don't know. That was just my okay. terrible they assumption. They could have done. But I mean, he's gone from head of security to captain of a large vessel in like six years. Mm. I don't know how Captain
2: Birds I like, got there.
3: Yeah. He is a womanizer as well. So many have asked how a man that was once head of security rose to the rank of captain in just a few years. I mean, we literally just did. Yeah, I mean, I was immediately questioning that. Um, So as well as the the port collision uh, with the Concordia in Palermo, Sicily, he was also responsible for a collision in 2010 when he was captaining another ship. uh, And this time he came into port far too fast and ended up grounding slightly or running aground slightly at the port in Vernon, Germany. Despite these two significant collisions, no further action was taken and Scatino remained captain of the Concordia. This was a decision that would come back to haunt them on Friday the 13th, a hundred years after the Titanic met its ill-advised demise. And it is here that we move to the timeline of the Costa Concordia disaster.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
3: Friday the 13th of January 2012, 7.18pm, the ship is set for a seven-day cruise around the Mediterranean. It embarks from Civitavecchia, Italy. 8.30pm, over 3,000 passengers are enjoying their dinner whilst being entertained by the ship's onboard crew. At 9pm, the captain, Francesco Scatino, is talking to guests while they enjoy their dinner. So, a big part about him is apparently he had a reputation for enjoying to mingle, particularly around the first class section of his uh, of his uh, guests. Bit of a showman, very much a showman. Yeah, I imagine he's the type of guy that was like, "Oh, do you want to go on the steering wheel? You know, that type of thing. Come back with me, and I'll I'll show you the steering wheel and that sort of thing." Um, I've, I imagine. Um, but yeah, he was mingling. He was down in the sort of one of the five restaurants and sort of talking to his guests and just enjoying the night, really.
2: 9.40pm, Scatino has finished mingling with his guests and makes his way back to the bridge for a dinner with his mistress.
3: Yeah, so a bridge, also known as a pilot house or a wheelhouse, is a room or a platform of a ship from which the ship can be commanded. Uh, so when a ship is underway or en route, the bridge is manned by an officer of the watch, typically aided by seamen acting as a lookout.
2: So the bridge, um... It's, it's long enough so you can see both sides of the ship as well. So um, when they're kind of navigating their way, they can go to both sides, see over the edge, just to make sure that, you know, their spatial awareness, basically. We know, all know what it's like when you rent a different car size to what you used to, don't we? And you get close to the side, you go, like, what's going on here? But the bridge will basically alleviate that problem. Uh, so anyway, he's brought back, um, well, his alleged mistress at the time, people were saying, brought back to the bridge. They just kind of show off a bit like Ben a bit of a showman. Um, Trying to give the big one, going, yeah, this is where I work. Yep, yeah, this is my bridge. <laughs> the old wheelhouse. Uh, he makes a remark that the ship will have to slow down so that he can enjoy his dessert.
3: Didn't know if that was a euphemism. <laughs> for her pussy?
2: At this point, the ship is cruising. <laughs> At this point, the ship is cruising and is intended to go past Julio, a small island just 10 miles from shore. The cruise has been mapped out, so the ship goes in the middle of the sea between the mainland and the island. Is also worth noting that although it is mere speculation, many close to Scatino at the time stated that they could see traces of cocaine below his nose and around his lips. Maybe it's just um, cream from his trifle here for pudding. Maybe. However, Scatino decides that he wants to deviate from the official route, which is a very rogue thing to do. Mm. As a result, he performs a maneuver known as a sail by. This means taking the ship from his original route and heading closer to the island, a feat that is apparently appreciated by passengers and islanders all the same. It is also sometimes believed to be a nod to the other seafarers in the ports. So yeah, I thought that
3: was, in my interpretation, that's kind of like how you see sort of bus drivers wave to each other and flash each other and that. Truckers. I've never seen a, a bus driver they, flash another bus. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they always
2: do. But whilst he's driving? Put, yeah. put the old arm out the window. Hello, oh, mate. okay. Uh, pull the trousers down, wiggle their ass. I guess some people could say it's similar.
3: Yeah, that was kind of sort of a nod.
2: But you wouldn't guess like it'd be more like a bus driver going in the wrong lane in order to do that.
3: Oh, this way. Yeah, Scatino driving a bus. Yeah, terrible. If if
2: you're comparing the two. Yeah. It's unknown the exact reasons as to why Scatino decided to make this detour. Most people believe that it's one of two reasons. To either impress his mistress, Dominica Simorton, who was on the bridge at the time, or to allow one of his crew members, who was from the island, to see his home. Many believe, due to the fact that he wanted to take the ship closer than ever to the shore, that he was very much showing off. I don't think he's... It's from what I gather from
3: Scatino, he's not doing it just to be nice to a fellow yeah, colleague. definitely not. And the thing is, this the ship had gone on this route many times before. There is footage of it doing a sail by this particular mm. island at the same time. It's very loud, very loud. But it, it wasn't something too out of the ordinary. But for some reason, which we'll go on to talk about, he either got far too close without realising or... He wanted to be a kind of maverick, like oh, look mm-hmm. at how close I can get to this island. But also,
2: no one's going to know that's a co- like a cool thing, or that, or he's gone close to them before. It, like, yeah. it's such a unnecessary
3: brag. I'm sure, like only the seafarers on the on the vessel would notice how close they got and be like, oh. But even then, they wouldn't be like, "Oh, that's impressive."
2: He's "Oh God, this Catina knows what he's doing." yeah i'm not sure about that scotino allegedly noticed the rocky area that the island was known for and asked for a change in direction from jacob russell bin who was steering the ship at the time yet there was a miscommunication due to language barriers and the helmsman who didn't speak english or italian particularly well and he directed the ship in the opposite direction so although scotino was making a remark about slowing down so he could enjoy his dessert he very much went the opposite of this and demanded that they go at 17 knots to do the sail by, which is a considerably speedy um, speed to do that, and one that would prove to be a very bad idea.
3: Yeah, especially especially as conditions were so. Well, it was the middle of the night, pitch black. Can't really see the depth of the the ocean um, outside of the ship either, even from the bridge. So. It's risky and there's a lot of conflicting reports aren't there on whether it was down to the language barrier or down to the arrogance of Scatino um, and yeah it's a it's a very messy situation but in trying to fix it the panic and the language barrier just made it even worse because they kept giving conflicting orders and this Jacob Russell bin would kind of steer to starboard instead of port and all sorts of things it was. Very mucky situation.
2: Yeah, so Jacob, who is the, the helmsman, so the guy at the helm of the boat, um, obviously dealing with the steering. Um, it was it was alleged that um, Scatino made a command of a certain um, angle to have the boat going at, and he he misheard it and went five the wrong way. Um, and then doing that, any little minor details in the situation would prove to be very costly, even though if it was in the middle of the ocean, obviously it wouldn't be a big deal, he could, he could correct himself, but it seems to be very dodgy, which we're going to go into in terms of how Jacob was even at the helmsman of this boat, especially if he's unable to understand the uh, the, the captain's commands. So as we mentioned with Jacob getting the wrong end of the stick In terms of which way to turn the boat It was only 13 seconds it was going the wrong way But this miscommunication would lead to a grave outcome And just a note on Jacob Russell Bin He was allegedly hired to work on the cross Concordia At an extremely low rate An Indonesian native And just like Captain Scatino His rapid rise to a high ranking role on the ship Certainly caused a few eyebrows to be raised Jacob had previously worked as a cleaner and a painter Before working on the Concordia And it is alleged he had never steered a ship Before he steered the Concordia which is baffling.
3: Unbelievable. Yeah, how... I mean, we talked about uh, Scatino's rise being rapid, but to pull a painter and decorator off the street, essentially, and put him behind the the wheel. I don't know if they're sort of the exact shipping terminologies there, but that's crazy. Mm, Especially a boat worth that much money. Yeah. It seems to be very odd. 9.42pm. Whilst detouring 300 metres from the shore, the ship strikes and grinds into a large rock on the shore of the island. This causes a 50 metre cut in the centre of the side of the ship. Uh, so a note here, in all the chaos and showing off or miscommunication, alleged womanising, slowing down the ship for dessert, or speeding up for the, for the sail-by, the ship was actually 700 metres closer to the island than was deemed safe. And for a ship of that size and uh, an island this small with such shallow waters as you get closer to it, that is just an unbelievable uh, catalogue of errors. The collision is felt by those on board. Passengers who had previously been enjoying their dinners were now clinging onto tables and trying to salvage loose glasses from shattering on the floor. There was a couple, I believe a Dutch couple, who claimed that Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On was playing at this very moment. Um, I don't know if they were sort of playing up to the interviewers when they were giving that information, but don't play that song on a cruise ship. those who were in cabins had to prop up TVs that were about to fall and ornaments that decorated their rooms. So whilst all of this uh, chaos is going on, um, there is uh, a lot of footage available on, on YouTube regarding the uh, the passengers that were inside the ship as this happened. And due to this particular passenger footage, we know that immediately everybody was panicked. Uh, on the footage, you can hear children crying uh, for their parents and many, and, and so many different languages going on as well. You can hear friends people Italian people British people um, you can hear them all panicking and many of these individuals began to leave the dining hall area in order to try and find out some more information and just as they are about to leave they are ushered back and told to exit from another side by crew members 9 50 p.m roughly 10 minutes after the collision the ship darkens a blackout causes only more panic to be spread amongst those on board an announcement is made that says
0: on behalf of the captain." We want to inform you that due to an electrical fault that is currently under control, we are currently in a blackout. Our technicians are working to resolve the situation and we will inform you of developments as they occur. Thank you for your attention.
2: 9.57pm, Captain Scotino decides to make the ship owners aware of the situation 17 minutes after the collision. The ship continues to go forward, yet with three parts of the lower deck becoming submerged in water. Panic is rising. Modern day cruise liners have been developed to stay afloat if two of the seven parts of the watertight lower deck have been compromised. However, with three of the seven being compromised, the fate of the ship has been set. The engine room has also been affected, meaning the steering of the ship has also been compromised. So, this wasn't helped by one of the uh, watertight doors, it wouldn't seal properly, were, so it was it left ajar, so essentially letting water
3: rush through. I think as well, the part that the um the part where the collision happened with the rock—it was very central to the side of the ship, so that took out a lot of the engine uh, area, a lot of the mechanical elements of the ship that were vital to it staying afloat as well. So, whereas if you make the comparison to the Titanic and it's kind of at the front offside, this was very very central, which is a really bad part of the ship to be hit. So, uh, at this point, yeah, it's 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 sinking very very quickly—the
2: Achilles heel, yeah,
3: essentially of the ship—the Achilles hull. The Coast Guard to this point has still not been informed of the situation by Captain Scatino. 10pm. Those in control of the ship decide to turn it around and head back towards Giulio. Therefore the distance between the ship and land would decrease, meaning that in the worst case scenario passengers would not have to travel far before they reach the safety of land. So essentially they're thinking if we can get the ship into more shallow waters, also closer to the island, there's less distance between us to get them to dry land the passengers have still not been made aware of the extent of the situation they are facing using their initiative they decide to collect life jackets and make their way to either their rooms or the deck to try and find out more information The passengers call the Coast Guard, and this is the first time that the Coast Guard, Gregorio De Falco, is notified of the situation. So that again is not a good look for uh, Scatino, obviously not notifying the Coast Guard of any kind of incident. It's taken 17 minutes for him to inform the ship's owners that there's kind of a situation ongoing, but he's not taken the time to inform the Coast Guard whatsoever, and it's come from a passenger. Fortunately for the captain, crew, and all that survived, a large and continuous gust of wind pushes the Concordia closer to the island of Giglio, where it is able to rest on a shelf of the ocean floor. So there are a lot of graphics of this as well. Essentially, it was perched before a very, very deep, vast body of water. And if it had not been for that gust of wind and the unusually strong currents, it could the, the ship could have sunk completely. Um, so they were very much saved, not by the quick thinking of this experienced captain, but they were they were saved by nature. 10.10pm.
2: 10, 10 Passengers make their way to Deck 4. It is here that they are told...
0: We have a message from our captain. We kindly ask you to return to your cabin, or if you prefer, you can stay in the lounges. Once we've finished addressing the problem that we have, the electrical problem with the generator, everything will be fine. This is why we have these emergency lights. Everything is under control.
3: So this is the first update that the passengers are getting and it's almost half an hour after the impact. I get like when
2: people do it, like for example in the Paris attacks when they've kind of kept the match going not to cause panic. But this is a completely different situation. I know like you don't want to cause panic in in any situation. It's not going to be helpful. But when it's, you know, literally in a sinking boat, it seems to be like incredibly stupid at 10 14 p.m the coast guard gregorio de falco caused the costa concordia the coast guard is told that there is an electrical problem the captain denies that there was anything other than a collision when the coast guard tells him
0: we had a relative of a crew member call the police who said that during dinner everything fell on his head
2: scotino simply replies
0: no negative we have had a blackout and we are verifying conditions on board we will keep you informed
3: He's trying to, It just feels like he's the biggest blagger ever. And he's thinking, I can still pull this off. And that's the thing. I think because it's such a huge cruise ship and they are in relatively safe, relatively from what they may feel as well. If they're looking out and they can see that they're relatively close to the island, they might not think the water is as deep as it actually is and that there's any likelihood the, the vessel could go under. So maybe that's why the crew are not aware as bad of a situation as it is mm. or as much danger as they potentially are in. But either way, it's been handled very, very poorly. 10.24 PM, the Coast Guard calls the Concordia again. This time he is told that the boat is taking on water, but still, Scatino only asks for relief in the form of tugboats. I assume he's asking to be pulled closer to shut up. Well, I don't know. Or maybe he's being asked to put, be pulled out of the angle that they are now bedded on that shelf in. Um, But he's requesting tugboats, so maybe he still thinks he can fix this situation, which is just a very, very odd request. If you're there and they are offering you help, You ask for help rather than a set of tugboats or a fleet of tugboats. The Coast Guard decides to deploy emergency services to help with the rescue mission. This includes the use of two helicopters and some speedboats. At this point, people on the island of Giglio become heroes. Many decide to make their way to the shore to help with the rescue efforts. They brace themselves for the influx of 4,229 people bearing in mind that their population on the on the full island is less than half of this number and they prepare their homes so that rescued passengers have a place to stay so yeah the quick thinking of the locals here it's, it is a very small island and again i i would assume if i was on the ship and not aware of the the, the 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 full extent of the circumstances i'd probably think well i'm close to i'm close to a small island i'm close to land i don't think it could be that deep down there but when you see the graphic of the shelf that the the concordia ended up resting on if it hadn't been for that wind, the, it was sort of twice as deep as the ship. So, yeah, scary, scary set of situations. Yeah. And this to all happen in the middle of the night as well. And it's a, you know, there's like a party atmosphere inside the ship. Loads of color, loads of lights and sounds going on. You can imagine that when people really start to panic and realize what's going on, all these different people speaking different languages. And and the I think the emergency... Tanoy as well was giving an english update italian update french update spanish update so it was a very serious situation
2: at 10 39 p.m the first emergency services arrive at the ship 10 42 p.m the ship is now at a 20 degree angle a general emergency tannoy is heard on board this consists of seven short beeps and one long one once this has been heard the dancers that had previously been entertaining the guests on board were now expected to carry out a roll call passengers are in floods of terror at this point Many head to the lifeboat deck, which is on deck four. As they are waiting for announcements, they are told.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. The situation is under control. Please remain calm. At this time, please proceed to your master station. They are located outside on deck four. Please remain calm. The situation is under control.
2: As this announcement is made, children continue to cry with only the comfort of their parents' arms. At 10.48pm, the ship comes to a halt on a rock bed. This causes the ship to tilt even more. There's terrifying footage as well of the lifeboats kind of being lowered down a bit whilst the ship is moving and tilting and it's just the shaking of the lifeboats and it's yeah. absolutely terrifying. 10.58pm. The announcement to abandon ship is finally made. Two rescue helicopters are called into action by the Coast Guard. However, it is estimated they are 50 minutes away from the sinking ship. Announcements are continuing to be made telling passengers to keep calm whilst mothers are asking men to carry the children to safety. Lifeboats start to be dispatched. Janice Donoff makes it onto a lifeboat. She is a newlywed, celebrating her marriage on the Costa Concordia. All the lifeboats on the ship were able to be lowered into the sea at a maximum angle of 20 degrees. The Concordia was past this angle by the time Janice was lowered into the sea. As a result, crew members began to use oars to create distance between the lifeboat and the ship. As the boat continued to be lowered, it hit the side of the balcony. She and her husband, as well as the other passengers occupying this lifeboat, were asked to return back onto the sinking ship.
3: Yeah, so basically as this, as the ship has now sort of been pushed into this shelf bed of rocks, whatever you want to call it, it's now starting to angle and it made uh, lifeboats on one side even more difficult. On the opposite side, if you can imagine that being more exposed to, to the air rather than the water. They're, tr- they're just not going to drop, are they, the, the lifeboats? So that made for a pretty horrific situation there.
2: On the starboard side of the Concordia, passengers are stopped from getting onto lifeboats as there's no space left. As a result, some try to make it to the other side of the ship, enduring the steep walk to safety as the ship continues to sink. Unfortunately, when they arrive at the other side, it becomes clear that there are no more lifeboats on this side either. At this point, one passenger commented that he began to think about the excellent life he had had with his wife. Passengers began to call their family members and tell them about the situation and to tell them they loved them. There was so much uncertainty and passenger interviews showed that many of the passengers related their experience much to the one that they had seen on the Titanic.
3: 11.15pm. The first lifeboat makes it to the island of Giglio. 11.20pm this is arguably one of the biggest moments of this particular case. So the captain, Scatino, abandons his post at the bridge and subsequently later the ship. So there are many different people that kind of encountered Scatino at this point and apparently he, he was just completely uh, pale with shock at this point and he had made the very, very controversial and highly um, unusual decision to abandon his post rather than to uh, try and help other passengers, or try and help other crew members, or potentially even go down with the ship, as uh, as many captains are traditionally supposed to do. So yeah, like
2: I always talk about that scene, in, in, uh, obviously from that line I just said about people uh, associating it with Titanic, but then that famous scene in, in the film where the captain just stands there and just goes down with the ship. This guy is the complete opposite. Um, of that kind of character the Captain Coward very much fits the bill here yeah so talking about you know Captain's behaviour and whether or not it's illegal and things like that it, I was thinking well oh, that's a it's not terrific not to go down the ship and I thought it's time for some Tommy's Trivia
0: Tommy's Trivia baby it's my new favourite part it's terrific Tommy's Trivia <laughs> that's terrific so um <laughs> what do you do I just been sweating. uh-uh
2: Little sweaty man. It's got me thinking. I've come across a very interesting story about just the lengths some people will go to in order to be an honourable man, to be a good captain. Um, And it actually took me, Ben, to the spooky shores of ghost ships. Oh. Also known as bantam ships. Oh, Um, yes. I love this. Shut up, Dan. So someone who doesn't (laughs) know... someone who doesn't know what a phantom or ghost ship is it's a vessel with no living crew on board it may be a fictional ghostly vessel such as the flying dutchman or a physical derelict found adrift with its crew missing or dead like the mary celeste um so i was digging around all those past those ghoulish ships and ghostly uh ghostly uh wreckages and i got to um i got to the octavius which is a weird name for a boat or ship mm-hmm. i have to say um and it's one that would meet such a grisly fate. But the grim scenes found on board was what made the story of the ghost ship particularly terrifying.
3: Ooh.
2: The free-mastered schooner departed from England in 1761 but was found off the coast of Greenland in 1775. So 14 years. It was a Ooh. long trip. Her captain had, unluckily, decided to try and use the then non-existent Northwest Passageway Ooh. which um, is now a thing but it wasn't a thing then. To return home, the five men who boarded the derelict ship in 1775 were confronted with a ghostly sight. So, yes, yeah, so the five men who basically found the ship to go on and said, What's going on here? This is interesting. There's a big boat here. Let's go say hello to all the lovely men and people on board. So, they went on board um, and they were found this horrible sight. The entire 28 man crew was below deck but frozen to death. The icy figure of the ship's captain was discovered. And this is really like haunting. And I thought this is really sums up like just the stoicness of this guy. He's found writing in his logbook sitting at his desk pen still in hand frozen wow. and, the lo- and the last logbook entry was 1762 so it just yeah it was the whole 13 years between when he was doing that and when he was actually found wow. and the ghost ship and her crew had been lost at sea for 13 years frozen in time that's amazing yeah very good but anyway, i just thought you know ships sounds a bit <laughs> trivia anyway back to the ship that's trivia. <laughs> That's terrific.
3: Nice one, Tom. Thanks so much. 11.30pm. The two helicopters that had been dispatched by the Coast Guard make their way to Giglio. A recording of the conversation between the pilots shows that neither of them was prepared to see a ship almost fully submerged in water. With it becoming apparent that there were no more lifeboats, people decided to jump for their lives. Crew members began to say their goodbyes to one another. Passengers said goodbyes to their loved ones, not knowing if this would be the last time that they saw each other alive. People jumped into the water without knowing what they would be jumping into. The water was dehabilitatingly cold, but the passengers and crew had to keep level headed to make sure that they swam to safety. They endured a 20 minute swim before they reached land. Rose Metcalf, a worker on board the ship, climbed up to one of the highest points of the sinking ship and waited for the helicopters to see her. She soon realised that although she could see the helicopter, it could not see her as they focused their attention on those in the water. After an hour, Rose was rescued. She was hoisted to safety using a horse collar.
2: The 14th of January, 12.46am. Passengers are still on the sinking ship. Captain Scatino is radioed and it is found that he is now on his way to safety in a lifeboat. He has abandoned his ship before the last passengers are taken to safety. This is one of the most dishonourable things the captain can do, and it is also illegal. I didn't realise it was illegal. I
3: just thought it was frowned upon. Yeah. But like seriously frowned upon, like quite Mm a lot. Yeah,
2: Like a chef, like having a spoon in the soup, having a taste to put it back in there. Don't do that, chef. It's dirty, but he's not going to get arrested for it. (laughs) Content. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The recorded conversation between DeFalco and Scatino is one of the most famous parts of this case, as it highlights Scatino's cowardice whilst highlighting DeFalco, and by the extension, the other passengers' bravery. In a short snippet of the conversation, DeFalco says, Firm, like, fam, yeah, scary, rocks, like blood, blood yeah, straight yeah. in the c-.
3: I reckon he'll go into this supernaturally.
2: Listen! <laughs> Imagine you've got a lasagna and it's not quite right, Dan, and this is the waiter.
3: Listen,
0: Scatino, <laughs> there are people trapped on board. Now you go with your lifeboat under the bow of the starboard side. There is a rope ladder You climb that ladder And you go on board You go on board And then you tell me How many people there are Is that clear? I'm recording this conversation Captain Sc- Captain Sc-
2: Really undermining himself At the end there
3: <laughs> Captain Skitty
0: <laughs> I've lost all my confidence now <laughs> I'm recording this conversation Captain scatina
2: Skittino replies back Commander Let me tell you one thing He is then intercepted By DeFalco Who tells him
0: Speak up Speak up Put your hand in front of the speaker and speak more loudly. Is that clear?
2: Scatino murmurs something inaudible before stating, In this moment, the boat is listing. DeFalco remarks,
0: I understand that. Listen, there are people coming down the rope ladder of the bow. You go up that rope ladder, get on that ship and tell me how many people are still on board. Is that clear? You need to tell me if there are children, women or people in need of assistance and tell me the exact number of each of these categories. Is that clear? Listen, Scatino. You might have saved yourself from the sea, but I take a very dim view of this. I'm going to make you pay for this. Go on board, for fuck's sake.
2: I love how he's restrained from swearing the whole time, and at the end he's like, for fuck's sake, Scatino. <laughs> in a later part of the conversation, Scatino mentions to DeFalco that, It is hell here. There are already corpses. He said while putting his hands in the pockets looking for change. DeFalco tells Scatino repeatedly to get on board, despite his comments that it's dark. It is not thought that Scatino even attempted to get back into the sinking ship. When he arrived on land, he took a minicab to a hotel. He is then interviewed by a local news company,
3: where he tells them, We were the last ones to abandon ship whilst hundreds of passengers are still uncertain about safety. So yeah, uh, Coast Guard Gregorio de Falco, he became very much a a famous figure from this case and uh, kind of a national hero for the way that he commanded uh, this cowarding captain to get back onto the ship. Um, So there were lots of kind of discrepancies about the actual phrase he used, which is vada abordo caso. Caso, some people took as meaning damn it, but it actually refers to a man's private parts. So vada abordo caso would mean get on board dick or get on board prick Uh, either way uh, he was very clear in what he wanted Scatino to do
2: so now um, we're going to do a transcript which actually happened between De Falco and Scatino it's going back a little bit in time in the the evening but this is where they kind of really come to loggerheads in terms of what's going on and you'll hear how firm De Falco has been and how he's kind of smelling a rat with Scatino and it's really interesting to see how this all played out
0: this is De Falco speaking from Livorno Am I speaking with the Commander?
3: Yes, good evening, Commander DeFalco.
0: Please tell me your name.
3: I'm Commander Scatino, Commander. Scatino? Listen, Scatino.
0: There are people trapped on board. Now you go with your boat under the prow of the starboard side. There is a pilot ladder. You will climb that ladder and go on board. You go on board, and then you will tell me how many people there are. Is that clear? I'm recording this conversation, Commander Scatino.
3: Commander, let me tell you one thing. Speak up!
0: Put your hand in front of the microphone and speak more loudly. Is that clear?
3: In this moment, the boat is tipping. I understand that.
0: Listen, there are people coming down the pilot ladder of the prow. You go up that pilot ladder, get on that ship, and tell me how many people are still on board, and what they need. Is that clear? You need to tell me if there are children, women, or people in need of assistance. And tell me the exact number of each of these categories. Is that clear? Listen, Scatino. Perhaps you have saved yourself from the sea, but I'm going to make you look very bad. I'm going to make you pay for this. Go on board, Dick. Commander, please! No, please! You will get up and go on board. They're telling me that on board there are still- I'm
3: here with the rescue boats, I am here. I am not going anywhere, I am here. What are you doing, Commander? I am I am here to coordinate the rescue.
0: What are you coordinating there? Get on board, coordinate the rescue from aboard the ship. Are you refusing?
3: No, I'm, I'm not refusing.
0: Are you refusing to go aboard, Commander? Can you tell me the reason why you're not going?
3: I, I am not going because the other lifeboat is stopped. You go
0: aboard, it is an order. Don't make any more excuses. You declared, abandoned ship. Now I am in charge. You go on board. Is that clear? Do you hear me? Go, and call me when you are aboard. My air rescue crew is there. Where are your rescuers?
3: My air rescue
0: is on the prow. Go. There are already bodies, Scatino.
3: How many bodies are there?
0: I don't know. I have heard of one. You are the one who has to tell me how many there are.
3: Christ! But do you realize it is dark here, and we can't see anything?
0: And so what? You want to go home, Scatino? It is dark. And you want to go home get on that prow of the boat using the pilot ladder and tell me what can be done how many people there are and what their needs are
3: now i am i am with my second in command so both of you go up
0: then you and your second go on board now is that clear
3: commander i, I want to go on board but it is simply that the other boat here there are there are other rescuers it has stopped and is waiting it has
0: been an hour that you've been telling me the same thing now go on board Go on board and then tell me immediately how many people there are there. Go immediately.
3: 4.35am. The ship is now nearly at a horizontal angle as it continues to tilt. Passengers are still on board. Some passengers found a rope ladder and used this to escape the Concordia. When light breaks, Navy divers begin to enter the Concordia in the hopes that there may still be more survivors on the ship in underwater air pockets. When the rescue team enters the ship, they see the remains of passengers' livelihoods that had been ripped from them only hours earlier. Unfortunately, bodies were found and one diver said to cope with this, he had to tell himself that the deceased was sleeping. On this day, three bodies were found, 41 are still unaccounted for. Captain Francesco Scatino is taken into custody for abandoning his ship. He claims that he somehow fell into a lifeboat, which is a fairly outrageous claim. Um, I fell into a lifeboat and it took me to, took me to dry land. You, you just get up and then uh, maybe announce it and then get back off it.
2: Yeah. I fell on it and I was just so shocked I couldn't say a word and then suddenly I was like, mini-cat back to the
3: hotel. His legal team quickly blames the Costa cruise team for telling him to redirect his ship to see the island of Gilio. However, Costa combats this claim and they state that the cause of the tragedy is solely on the blame of the captain. First officer, Cyro Ambrosio, is also taken into custody on the same charges of manslaughter and abandoning his ship before the rest of the passengers. They also found the uh, individual that we mentioned at the helm at the time of the collision, Jacob Russell Bin, so the, uh, the Indonesian native who was at the helm at the time of the collision, they found him hiding in a nearby farmhouse on the island. Oh. Uh, which was yeah interesting cower in the cowshed. shed uh, yeah I think I think I don't know what the translation is for that but I'm sure I heard something like that uh, so as well as the outlandish claim that he fell into a lifeboat Scatino also later stated that uh, the rock that collided with the ship was not on his map so that's having a car crash and saying so on Google Maps it didn't say there was a car there
2: Terrible from him. (laughs) On the 15th of January, during the rescuing mission, two South Korean honeymooners are found on the ship. When they had been originally told about the crisis, they had been in their bedroom and told by a person speaking English, not speaking English themselves. They went back to a bed, not understanding the gravity of the situation. The room was not submerged in water and the couple were found in good condition by rescuers. They had been eating cookies and drinking water to survive the 31 hours they were trapped in the wreckage.
3: Maurizio Giampetroni, the ship's safety officer, is found. He has been trapped inside the wreckage, unable to escape, but rescuers finally managed to save him after multiple hours. The last survivor is rescued after being in the shipwreck for over 24 hours. However, the death toll reaches 5. 16th of January 2012, so this is three days after the uh, collision had occurred. The iconic conversation that took place between Captain Coward, as he was dubbed by many, and uh, Coast Guard defalco is released. And it, yeah, it goes down. Well, it, it becomes global news at this point. Many start to become increasingly worried about the environmental impact that the ship's wreckage will have. Corrado Clini, the Italian environment minister, makes his fears known as he dubs the incident an environmental disaster. It is estimated by Carnival, the company that owns Costa Cruises, that this incident will cost £62 million to repair. However, that was a vastly underestimated figure. It would go on to be significantly more than that. Pierluigi Foschi, the manager of Costa Crociere, releases a statement that places all of the blame onto Scatino, stating...
0: This route was put incorrectly. The fact that it left from this course is due solely to a manoeuvre by the commander that was unapproved, unauthorised and unknown to Costa.
3: He commemorates the bravery of the passengers and states that their well-being is of their top priority. He also expresses concerns about a potential fuel leakage into the waters of Gilio. The whereabouts of... So at this point, there have obviously been five confirmed fatalities as a result of the disaster. However, the whereabouts of an additional 29 people are still unknown. This includes four crew members and a further 25 passengers. A sixth body is found in the wreckage on this day, yet terrible weather conditions meant that the search was halted for a few hours before recommencing.
2: 17th of January, Scatino is placed under house arrest whilst an investigation commences and consequently is released from prison. He still vehemently denies that the shipwreck was his fault. The effort to safely release the fuel from the wreckage begins. It is estimated that it will take a minimum of three weeks to do so. A further five bodies are found on this day. So that's one good thing I thought about this when I doing the research on this is, like obviously there's lots of fuel and there's such a big ship like that and they've gone in and they've gone straight there to just get rid of all the fuels there's no big leakage and you know the wreckage and of course that could lead to a lot of the wildlife being um killed and damaged and suffering for a long time afterwards so it's just like just the whole idea i've never actually sat there and thought how do you get a boat this would have been a good interest in fact how to get a boat back from the bottom of the sea it's a very interesting uh interesting way ben have you got anything to add to that
3: well, I know that in trying to sort of re-stabilise or raise the Costa Concordia, they actually achieved a Guinness World Record of the biggest vessel to be able to restore to the surface. But it took a lot of time because basically they had to get it. They managed to get it upright, but then to get it again at water level or above water level, sorry, was an absolute mission. It's it like it. lift,
2: lifting the sofa around a sticky corner on, on the stairway, isn't it? You can get it up
3: there, but you can't get it there. Like, how am I going to get around there? It a bit, bit. Yeah, you know what I mean? Pivot. <laughs> Oh, you're such a gunther. No, I'm not a gunther. (laughs) I'm a
2: Ross, apparently. Painfully a Ross, I think that's probably better. But yeah, um, and the amount of money, we'll probably get onto it, I'm sure, but the amount of money as well to salvage it. Staggering. On the 31st of January, despite the best efforts, the search comes to a close. Two passengers are still missing, but 18 days after the crash, it is presumed that they are dead. This disaster took 32 lives. So a lot of people, the people that sadly passed away from this were either unable to swim or they just thought they'd maybe swimming away. but when the boat was going under a bit, it kind of sucked them back in towards the boat. Obviously, we mentioned before the temperature of the sea was, it wasn't, um, you know, Titanic levels, but it was cold and it'd be a shock to the body. A lot of people would struggle to take the breath away from them when they jump in the water as well. And other people just being in certain parts of the boat were unable to get free in time. So 32 people, as we said, like, you can laugh at Scatino being a bit of a figure of fun here, but there's 30 people lost their lives. Um, yeah. And you probably would say from the, just the sheer quantity of people on there over 4,000 people,
3: it's not, I think for how badly they responded to it initially, like the coast guard, not the harbour master, coast guard, not even being informed and Scatino trying to cover it up and say, no, just send a tugboat. We'll be fine. I'm mm. going to jump onto this uh, raft and get out of it. I think for how badly it was handled by, the captain and the crew, initially, obviously not all the crew, there were lots of crew there doing their job and trying to help, but it could have been so much worse.
2: It really highlights how bad a captain he was, but how good a staff and others must have been in order to do their such in such a successful
3: fashion. It could have been so much worse, but it never should have happened in the first place. But yeah. Uh, 9th of February 2012 to prevent a catastrophe like this from happening again it is announced the Cruise Lines International Association European Cruise Council and Passenger Shipping Association will now make it compulsory for all ships to complete muster drills before leaving the port on the 9th of February work to remove the oil from the ship commenced the ship became surrounded by oil booms and workers removed over 2,000 tonnes of oil from the wreckage 2,000 tons Mm. 21st of April 2012 Titan Salvage Uh, not the same company is granted permission to remove the wreckage. Titan Salvage is a marine salvage and wreck removal company. On the 7th of September 2012, black box recordings of the disaster are leaked. These recordings are catastrophic for Scatino, who still at this stage is trying to plead his innocence and saying that he did everything he could and he, he left at the last moment. On the black box recordings, he can be heard saying, Madonna, what have I done? As well as, so, are we really going down? So that was the timeline of the Costa Concordia disaster. We're now going to move on to a bit of aftermath.
2: In July 2013, five crew members pleaded guilty to the charges they face, including manslaughter. All received sentences of less than three years. Two officers, the helmsman, the head of cabin service, and the head of the crisis team, were found guilty of the charges of multiple manslaughter, negligence, and shipwreck. Being guilty of shipwreck is an interesting phrase.
3: Yeah.
2: What are you in for, our petty theft, you? Shipwreck. What? I'm guilty of shipwreck,
3: (laughs) maybe. I did think that shipwrecks, uh, as well as now knowing that there's a a crime for shipwreck, I did think that's a bit interesting. Go on, Ben. Oh, I needed that. I needed that. In what? In what way? Just interesting, man. Roll the fucking. (laughs) Roll the fucking tune.
2: Ben Carter's interesting
3: facts. Interesting facts. (laughs) Ah oh, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, I have to say, uh, Tom did really well last week on the uh, Tommy's trivia's done really well again this week. Tommy really had a sting in his tail last week, and it left me feeling low. Uh, almost as bloody low as Davy Jones's locker. you could say some have said that. Um, David Jones, just so you know, refers to the patron saint of uh, Saint David, uh, who they believe protects good sailors from uh, This feels very Edinburgh. David Brent don't worry you'll be fine very david
0: print
2: i
3: need this i need this i need this i need this today we're talking about treasure sunken and unclaimed treasure in fact of all things so just like tom's kind of talked about a a lost vessel i'm going to talk to you about another vessel i'm going to go back a bit further in time for this one so back to the early 1500s there was a portuguese ship yeah that's too far some people have said but no
2: i imagine that time being quite sepia in tone you know what i mean yeah
3: yeah 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 Think of like a classic sort of cartoony pirate ship and you've got today's ship that we're going to be talking about. Uh, back in the early 1500s, there was a Portuguese ship that was built called Flor de Mar, which translates to the flower of the sea. And it operated for nine years, taking passengers and products for trade all across Europe and parts of Africa. At the time, it was highly regarded as the best ship in the world of its class, and almost twice the size of most of them. So, if you look at pictures of the floor de Lamar, it looks like an old pirate ship. Despite all the love and uh, bigging up that the ship received, um, it did have a track record of being a little bit leaky, which you don't really want for a ship. However, um, you know, despite that, people were still sort of recommending it. If you need a good ship, you know, hit up the floor de Lamar. However, you know, it was known to spring it's a leak. <laughs> Yeah, the floor is a bit, yeah. But it was known to spring a leak every now and again, but still they trusted it. So despite multiple warnings from experienced seafarers, the ship continued to embark on a multitude of voyages. And for one particular voyage to Malaysia, uh, the Portuguese king of the time needed as many vessels as possible taking part in this voyage. And uh, you'll see why very soon. Uh, So the Flor de la Mar was a part of the Portuguese armada that led the attack on Malacca, uh, a little city in Malaysia. And it was part of a fleet of ships that set sail from Portugal under a uh, nobleman named Alfonso de Albuquerque. On January the 20th, 1512, he conquered, after sailing on the ship, the city of Malacca, and it became part of the Portuguese Empire. Here's where it gets interesting. Okay. They invaded the Sultan of Malacca's palace, and they stole all of his jewels and all of his gold and all of his you know riches they stole it right from within the palace right guess how much they stole from this sultan of malacca um
0: this is in 1512 yeah
3: 1512 but in today's value 32 million okay interesting dan any advances on that
0: 673 million wow
3: okay even if we added up both your predictions it wouldn't make half oh. they stole 2.6 billion dollars from this sultan Salt however, <laughs> however,
2: alright,
3: salt and a bling. <laughs>
2: That's good. He's <laughs> pretty good, yeah.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Pretty good, but this is my bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> i trying, trying to help you out. <laughs> Cheers, mate. However, when returning back to Portugal, a bloody leaky ship started leaking. Oh, no. And they encountered treacherous weather and subsequently became lost off the coast of Sumatra, somewhere on the bed of the Indian Ocean. Around 400 men lost their lives, but nobleman Alfonso de Albuquerque and a few others made it out alive on improvised rafts. The treasure, however, has never been found. So there is $2.6 billion worth of treasure hidden somewhere in the bed of the Indian Ocean. Uh, And it's out there, guys.
2: I reckon the Sultan made a claim and he's like, I'm going to put a little bit extra on top of what I lost. (laughs) How much was it? Uh, it's two bill what that like, doesn't exist Just two bill yeah two bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Close to three bill yeah you know what mm. but yeah okay oh, wow. so the
3: floor de la mar still lies undiscovered somewhere on the Indian Ocean floor attempts to locate and salvage the shipwreck have been a very big cause of controversy there are a lot of people out there trying to do it on, the, on their own Portugal Indonesia and Malaysia all claim to have the rights to salvage it um and it remains the most popular shipwreck in the world, never found. There is a little bit of a law around it. A discoverer that finds a shipwreck, pursuant to the law of finds, is entitled to the full value of the goods that are recovered, which I didn't know. How much gold is currently estimated to be in the ocean? Around 20 million tonnes of gold has been lost at sea. Uh, how much treasure is down there? Um, it's estimated that altogether in the world's oceans, there are over $60 billion worth of treasure, uh, still un obtained from the ocean and the largest monetary treasure haul ever found was from a wreck named the black swan uh, which was 500 million oh, wow. uh, based on 17 tons of coins that they managed to get just off the coast of gibraltar um, no wonder it's a haven um but there you go the floor de lamar brilliant sort of i had to come back strong mate i'm sorry what do you find, mate? i'm not what are you sorry for I had come, just had to Nervous. the image of the ghost, vias. the first. It was ghosty, right? But this was sort of ghastly amount of money. A lot of lot of words for What well, yeah, the interesting bit was around it, but no, nah, there's was loads of interesting bits. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Both sorry. good, good team, getting the best out of each other. Good team. <laughs> Let's jump into some aftermath.
2: Ben Carter's interesting facts. Interesting facts. Many felt that this was appalling for the victims of the Costa Concordia tragedy, especially considering none of these criminals would have actually served time in prison. It was labelled as truly disappointing by Danielle Bocchiolini. There will be real justice in the end when we can determine with certainty what the responsibilities of the captain are. As said by Prosecutor Francesco Ferruccio.
3: Scatino went on trial that same month. He had previously been denied a plea deal. His mistress, Dominica Samotran, was asked to give evidence at her lover's court case. She denied being in an intimate relationship with him at first, but when pressed by a judge and threatened with criminal charges, she admitted her affair. So she was very, she sort of played with the press that followed her a little bit, but she'd been involved in another few scandals as well. Dominica was a Moldovan dancer, and it was found that she did not have a ticket for the Costa Concordia but still managed to make her way onto the ship. She said, when you are the lover of someone, they don't ask for your ticket. She said this was a joke, but it was still noted in court. Um, so she was
2: very much adamantly kind of skirting around the details of things, not wanting to be proven and not wanting to be involved in this really. Um, and then she cut, the, and then whilst the rescue divers went into the room of Scatino, they actually found her items and her belongings within his room, so she was kind of backed into a corner here, where she couldn't really defend herself anymore. And the tabloids loved kind of playing on the love story, the love triangle, the love rat, Scatino, and and putting her together. They both kind of very played out into, like I said, beginning, a beginning bit of a soap opera with this. But she had nowhere to go when they found all her items within his room.
3: It is also found at his trial that he had conducted a sail-by on the 6th of January but had been left unsatisfied with the view and therefore intended to get closer a week later on the 13th of January. Antonello Tiavoli said, but I had meant going two to four miles from the coast of the island, believing that he may have given the captain the initial idea.
2: In 2015, Captain Scatino was found guilty of the charges against him after a 19-month trial. Although he did appeal his conviction, he was sentenced to 16 years in prison. His sentencing included 10 years for multiple manslaughter, five years for causing the shipwreck, and one year for abandoning the passengers. This disaster leads to a lot of changes on board cruisers. Changes to safety protocol were made, and this included the people allowed to access the bridge and issues surrounding life jackets. Additionally to this, it became compulsory for mustard drills to be completed before the ship leaves the port. As well as this, passenger data is now recorded digitally and is available across the board. In total, the disaster took the lives of 32 people. In November of 2014, the most recent body to be recovered from the wreckage was found. The body belonged to Indian waiter Russell Ribello, who was found by those dismantling the wreckage almost three years after the incident. His body was found in a cabin on Bridge 8. His body was described as being in an advanced state of decomposition. His family were contacted immediately and an autopsy was conducted to prove his identity. His older brother Kevin was given the opportunity to bring back home his brother, as he wrote on his Facebook page.
3: On the 1st of February 2014, a Spanish diver working on the Costa Concordia wreck died after cutting his leg on a sheet of metal. He was brought to the surface alive by a fellow diver, but later died due to the amount of blood loss. This was the only death to occur during the Costa Concordia salvage operation. In April of 2013, the mission began to refloat the Concordia. Crews searched the ship for all non-metal items and took away parts of the ship's fittings. So the plan was to eventually recycle as much of it as they could. Uh, But bearing in mind, this is what, uh, a year and a couple of months after the incident itself. So there had at this point been loads of other people... uh, uh, infiltrating the ship uh, to loot it and souvenir hunters as well. So there were loads of items stolen from the wreck that included the ship's bell, cash registers jewelry, furniture, artwork and various other uh, assorted items. So there was a, also obviously ongoing with all of this which we haven't really got into as much yet is that there was a um an ongoing court case uh, between Costa Cruises and the victims and the other passengers uh, that were demanding compensation rightfully so uh, from the events that they had to go through and they basically came up with a limit of 11,000 euros per person to pay for all their damages, uh, including the value of their ticket. Uh, And only a third of the survivors took that offer. Uh, The rest continued to fight for a higher payment. But in total, uh, the cost of the disaster, including the compensation, refloating, towing and scrapping, is estimated at the moment to have been at $2 billion. (sighs) so much money. In September of 2013, the ship was rolled upright using a method known as parbuckling. Parbuckling is the act of using pulling cables and the weight of water contained in caissons and using these to roll it upright. Bad weather made this part of the mission delayed many times. Then in July of 2014, the ship was transported to Genoa, Italy to be dismantled into scrap metal. So basically, when refloating or when trying to, re- they they got the uh, the remains of the ship up right now, but they had to pump all of the water that was inside the ship out of it. So again, they used kaisens, uh, the watertight tanks that are usually filled with pressurized air in order to pump the water out of the uh, vessel. So the the interesting thing is, for more than two years, the kind of skeleton of the of the ship was left by the island so it was it made for there are so many fascinating images of this case it's very upsetting of course but you could see you could see it from space as well one satellite image picked up the wreck of the ship as well on its
0: side by the island
2: so chris peterson the vice president of the titan salvage the company that actually salvaged the boat would go on to say
0: the recent successful power buckling was special for so many reasons and to so many involved residents of giglio and italy our talented team and the passengers who were impacted and while we celebrate this, it is also important for those of us who represent an industry that responds to disasters to remember those who have lost their lives as a result of incidents such as this one, and that we honour and respect their families.
3: Yeah, you don't think about all the extra people that this would have impacted as well, the rescue divers, the salvage operators, the, all of the different people involved in Titan Salvage, all of the families, all of the residents of the island that would have had to, no doubt, See all of this unfold, and, and you know, and they managed to save so many people as well. It's yeah, it is a like like Tom's mentioned. It's it, it's a it's a case where there are elements that you can kind of there there are kind of caricatures in terms of the the characters in this case, but there's also yeah, such a devastating impact on so many different families.
2: Lots of the um the things you found online about it, it kind of it's quite light, isn't it? And it kind of doesn't really play on the fact that you know so many lives were lost. But um, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting one. It's one. It's just one that seems like it's just one stupid, mis- like so easily avoidable. I'm quite surprised by the amount of people that were going to be arrested as well. Really, um, when I kind of think it mainly boils down to um, terrible management in terms of hiring certain people with lack of experience, and then people just. Essentially, having a bit of a pissing contest and making a big yep. mistake.
3: Uh, Gregorio uh, De Falco, the Coast Guard, obviously got... Um, he became a, a household name in Italy after this instance, and they actually did end up making some merchandise for him, which, based on his, uh, his phrase, "vada a Bordo Caso, um, they made a load of T-shirts out of that, and he eventually went into politics, but then he was involved in a scandal, I saw. So... Yeah, he,
2: I mean, he. people thought he'd go on to go further his career in the Navy Then his kind of person that was in charge of that part of things would basically kind of put him back into more of an admin role, which people thought maybe they didn't like the fact that he was getting all the limelight. Um, but yeah, very interesting case. And we hope you guys enjoyed the journey. Um, but yeah, let us know in the comments below what you think of the case. Do you think um, Scotino should have got more time do you think it was all just a, it's just a little bit of an accident? Um, I mean, obviously, I don't think there's any any inclination that he did anything on purpose, but in terms of his punishment, do you think it is fair? Um, but yes, a very interesting case indeed.
3: So whilst an ongoing trial was taking place, Scatino published a book uh, which was titled La Verita Summers, which basically portrayed himself as a hero. Um, <laughs> the book was dedicated to the victims which was a very controversial thing for him to do as well. And many in the media criticised the book, especially how Scatino was attempting to profit off of the disaster and try to paint himself in a, in a better light. I don't know how he's going to try and come out looking good from this one.
2: No, nah, no, nah, I can't see it at all. Um, so that is the case of the Costa Concordia disaster. Uh, we're going to go into a bit of a uh, look like he's been. I've got one. I've got one. And it's not the one I want. And I would love the audience to help me figure out who the fuck it is that i mean but i can't find him all i can do is describe the guy in certain detail but i've got a very poor version of what i want to do
3: the audience yeah we had a lot sent in for green river as well uh so the audience are usually very good at helping us find people so if you do know who tom's referring to then uh yeah uh, hit us up on twitter instagram facebook we all, all the platforms really so tommy you're gonna go first i'm excited about this yeah as i said this is the
2: watered down version of the one i really want i'll describe the person i want I'm gonna go with Robert Powell from The Detectives. Oh, not, it's not really the one I, the one I want, but um, uh, but the real person I'm thinking of. There's a guy who plays like a scummy kind of always a bad guy. He's got like a long dark brown hair. He's an English actor, and he's very fake tanned and a bit bulbous-eyed. But he's always a bad guy in things. And they, mm. I can't for the life of me think who the fuck it is. But yeah. I'm going to have a look now to see if I can find it, but I don't think it is the one.
3: So I I said to Tom in the build-up that when we were looking for kind of uh, images for social media for this episode, that that, uh, Scatino gives me very much Italian Michael Scott vibes uh, in so many different ways. So I googled Italian Michael Scott, expecting that there was maybe an Italian version of The Office, but there isn't. But it did pull up Michael Scott having an Italian flag on his desk for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, which Barry Michael Scott, and then I thought I'm I'm going to use that as my lookalike, so uh, I'm going to show you now. But, I mean, it's probably better than mine. To be fair,
0: it's not bad actually. Then,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. What's this,
3: Alan Partridge? Oh, it's just Alan. Pa- Alan, but pa- I could see. Scatino saying the Alan Partridge quote about the Titanic, where he's like, Oh yeah, people go on about the Titanic. Titanic, let me tell you something about the Titanic. People forget, people forget that the Titanic's maiden voyage there was over a thousand miles of uneventful, very pleasurable cruising before it hit the iceberg. I see the kind of Scatino saying that a little bit. There was a similar case as well, the, the sinking of the MRS Oceanos uh, where the captain abandoned the ship and he gave the excuse... When I order abandon the ship, it doesn't matter what time I leave. Abandon is for everybody. Yeah, if some la- people like to stay, <laughs> yeah, if some
2: people like to stay. They can stay. I think that's more admirable, though, in terms of saying like. He's At like, least he's oh, admitting th- it. Yeah, he's like, I'm saying it. Fucking do it. Whereas it, he's like, yeah. oh, I fell into a lifeboat.
3: So this was Captain Janas Avranas, and to be fair. Uh, although he would later be convicted of negligence, no one on the ship died. But yeah, very interesting case. Very, yes, very interesting case. we hope
2: you guys enjoy the case. We'll be back again next week with a new case. Um, this, I think, this is a very much a wild card series, like a yeah. Um, there's a lot of ones I think people won't be expecting I don't think anyone expected mayhem I don't think anyone expected this case so there's lots of things we have tucked away to surprise you guys over the next coming weeks so be sure to stick around for that don't forget to give us a review uh, on any of the audio platforms you listen to us to or if you're watching us on YouTube thank you so much and give us a little comment on there it's all very much appreciated and it helps more than you ever will know
3: and if you just can't wait until next week's episode then we have got a website which is icmap.co.uk at the time of recording We have over 120 exclusive episodes over on there. You can watch them. Yeah, 120. Uh, You can watch them in video format or listen to them in audio format. And we do case requests, live streams. We've got a private Discord. We've got a whole host of things over there. And you also get early access to our main channel episodes at free as well. So Hot diggity um, dark. ICMAP.co.uk. Lovely stuff. Before
0: we sign off, boys, do you want a couple of... uh... Uh, messages from our cult members. Yes, please. Sure. Perhaps an application as well. Oh, Oh. yes, please. Well, uh, the first message is from the wonderful uh, Grey. We know Grey from the cult.
3: Go on, Grey. Go on, Grey
0: just has a little message saying hi guys uh my beautiful rock and roll daughter anastasia has told me she's listening to you guys can you give her a shout out for being the coolest smartest funniest 16 year old gal a pops could wish for and choosing awesome gifts and uh, he sent a picture of him wearing a cocaine bear t-shirt <laughs>
2: <laughs> lovely stuff oh, big well, shout, shout out. out to
3: anastasia
0: yeah shout out anastasia i am Ooh. mistaken please could you also shout out his son bruce as well
3: anastasia and bruce big shout out to the pair of you the greys the gray oh, oh the joneses sorry
2: yeah big shout out to them um and and congratulations for being able to uh, handle having a father like gray that's a wild card maverick <laughs> <laughs>
0: um and then we actually have a cult application that's just been sent in
3: fresh off the press
0: is it audio fresh off the press it is audio and Ooh. it is from natalie here we go
1: Hi, ICMAP, Dan, Tom and Ben. This is my official application for a spot in your cult and I'll give you a couple of reasons why I think that I would be an awesome fit. Okay, so first, I'm currently training for my second marathon this year and I listened to your three voices for hours and hours during my training. Some would say that this shows a devout dedication and a keen enthusiasm for ICMAP. Secondly, I currently work for the UK Society of Psychologists. So I spend quite a bit of time chatting to experts in the fields of forensic psychology, crisis, disaster, trauma, that type of thing. So if we need some proper expert intel, I'm your gal. Wow. And then thirdly, I'm a pretty good baker. I can make the cult a load of treats to keep us going. And last but not least, I think your cult needs a mascot or a couple of mascots. And ICMAP Mia and Bonnie are raring to go they're both working Cocker Spaniels uh, so Oh-ho. they can put in a shift for Ooh-ho. the call as well. Love
0: Thanks that. so much Amazing. Lovely. Working Cocker Spaniels endless, yeah, yeah.
3: Wow
2: well, it's, it's, it's a
3: yes, of course I mean, having
2: um, dogs it, it does help with the, uh, the application doesn't it? Working Cocker Spaniels does help with the application. So I mean, for me it's a big yes from me. Obviously treats are welcome and I mean, you know being able to run marathons is, is, is it could be very useful
3: approved application approved and uh, guys get in
2: touch if you if you want to apply for the cult if you want to just ask a question or send a message let us know over, over at our email hello at icmap.co.uk or there is a phone number as well which I'm sure Danny Boy can tell you all about that number
0: um, but yes uh, any application all that is very much appreciated and if you need that number it's plus 44 1767 308 nine nine zero please uh please
3: do it just do it yeah you only live once yo. Low anyway guys like we always say we say this all the time
2: you keep doing the weather you're doing
3: unless uh, unless it's uh not seeing the rock on your map or falling into a fucking Lifeboat, jammy Sod.
2: They're trying to show off to your mistress. Go, oh, look at me! I
1: can drive a boat really close Ooh. to the
3: island. Slow down for the pudding. <laughs> um, don't rush it. You get heartburn. Uh, yeah. It's like a trifle or something.
2: Yeah, um, or also probably just if you're going to be a helmsman, maybe do a bit more training. Always, you always yeah. train up for, for that. Kind of <laughs> anyway, guys, <laughs> until next time. Take care of yourself. Two pip. Bye bye. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch, and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.